Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast, where we dive into the melding of fathership and entrepreneurship with your host, the original Biz Dad himself, Adam Labar. Adam is a Christian, a former Air Force officer, a dad to three amazing kids, a coach, a real estate investor, and a business owner. On this podcast, he'll explore the unique journeys of amazing dads who are striving for greatness in both business and family. So whether you're a dad who is an aspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business owner, or simply a man striving to be a better dad, get ready as the Biz Dad brings you conversations to inspire, challenge, and equip you to be a better dad and entrepreneur. And now, here's Adam. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Biz Dad Podcast. I am uh, super excited to have uh, my guest today. He has been uh, an inspiration for everything from my real estate journey to um, talking to him about fatherhood um, to you know being in his being in his amazing mastermind. It's been a lot of fun to be around uh, Gino Barbaro and seeing his family at work. And um, I just cannot wait to uh, to get to know him a little bit more on a personal level as opposed to the the real estate and business side. You know, I've, I've definitely talked to him a lot about that. And now it's time to go a little bit deeper on the dad side as well. Um, but I can't wait to, to see how the conversation goes and look forward to, uh, to learning as much as I can. Um, so uh, Gino, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, your family, and uh, tell us a bit about your uh, business slash businesses, really. Adam, thanks for having me on. Real quick, uh, I am part of the Jake and Gino community. Jake and I started the education community a few years ago. Uh, I am a father of six children, uh, ages 23 to 8. My oldest daughter is a missionary right now. My son, 20 years old, he's at the camp with her right now just for the summer. Uh, 17-year-old, 14-year-old, 12-year-old, and a 9-year-old. Been married quarter of a century this year 25 years it's been a long time it's been great no it's it's been an i'm really fortunate that i married my wife i mean two two things i'm really blessed with is being married to her and actually finding jake as a partner those are two things that really uh worked out well in life and it's ironic that you know we're always striving and achieving for money but i think the relationships in life are so important obviously the relationships with your children but you know the, the other kinds of relationships are so important um we've been doing deals jake and myself for about 12 years now, I met Jake at the restaurant. I used to own a restaurant for years and years up in New York. And I met Jake. We moved down. He moved down to Knoxville, started doing deals together in Knoxville. I left the restaurant in 2016 and moved to Florida in 2017. And that's the short end of it. I was pretty lucky. I think most of us think we have a great childhood. And then when we look back, there's some holes in the childhood, and we all do. My father, uh, immigrant from Italy, he unfortunately lost his mother when he was 13 years old. And that was a big hole in his life. And I, I remember seeing the pictures. I mean, this is, you know, 70 years ago when it happened. So you're seeing black and whites and I see the picture of him. And that is a big hole in a young man, young man's life. I mean, he's got a, his sister who's eight years old. My grandfather, his father at the time had to go to the farm to work. There's no, oh, grieving time. There's no grieving. And I, my father had to take care of his sister. And Fortunately, my 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 grandfather remarried, and to my grandmother, who's um, um, was an amazing woman, she felt sorry for my dad and his sister. That's why she married my grandfather. They don't make them like that anymore. And she was a truly amazing woman, and I think that's really helped my father all along. You know, those young years and trying to look back at his relationship, and then he got married a little later on in life. He got married at thirty years old, so you know that generation didn't get married that late. But he, he got me married got married late and had me and my brother and he, he had a restaurant 
And that's, I grew up in the restaurant business working with him. And I thought all kids went to work with their dads at a restaurant. That's how I grew up. My father instilled uh, a couple things in me, uh, hard work ethic, I think integrity, do what you say and say what you do. The restaurant business is not an easy business. It's a really labor intensive, sort of labor of love kind of business. And I worked with him throughout my whole adulthood and he ended up passing away when I was 37 years old back in 2007, right before the Great Recession. And when the Great Recession hit, I was actually wondering, am I living his dream or am I living my dream? Because I mm -hmm. loved working with him. I loved going to the restaurant. I loved cleaning the legs of veal and doing the chicken and the, you know, the sirloin steak and I loved all that. That was so much fun working with him because I always felt as if I had somebody that I could turn to. And that was a great thing about mm -hmm. having that family, having that, 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 that support system. Now on, on the bad side, he could be very stubborn. It was usually his way or the highway. I mean, he, we, we were gardeners. I'm like, dad, I'm going to put some raised beds in. No, you're not doing that. Really? I, I didn't put raised beds in until after he passed away because sometimes they're hard headed. I'd want to cook certain dishes certain ways. Sometimes we get into an arguments about that. But I think overall, I mean, I had a really good relationship with him. The only thing that when he passed away, it's about that, about that saying to me, you've got to take care of your brother or you've got to, you know, and that left sort of a scar on me because it took me a couple of years to actually say to myself, it's okay to leave the restaurant because my brother was my partner mm -hmm. in the restaurant and that held a heavy weight on. But as I look back, I can see why he did that. It's because that he felt the need to take care of his sister when his mom passed away. So I, you, I've been processing those emotions over the last few years and now I can understand. I can still be angry about him doing that, but I can understand and I can accept Except the fact that, hey, that's why he felt that way is because he had that burden thrown upon him and he just wanted me to, you know, make sure that I look out for my brother. Yeah, I, I, I've had similar th things in a different perspective, but it's amazing how much we can look back on our history, especially with our, you know, as current dads looking back on our dad going, man, I, t I can actually see where they're coming from now. I like, I didn't see it then. I didn't understand then mm -hmm. why he was doing what he was doing or why he said what he said, but I totally understand now. And, you know, maybe it's like, a, well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll do what I can to not put that pressure on my kids or maybe, oh, well, now I understand I can change that direction and actually apply that same principle in a different way with my kids. But, um, you know, it, it, it having that self-reflection and realizing, okay, well, I think that, I mean, that's great for any part of life, right? If anybody you're related, like in relations with, whether it's a friend, a family, anybody, if you can look at things from their perspective, it can absolutely change the, the dynamic in the relationship. I would actually um, challenge everyone, Adam, who's listening to go back to your childhood. Uh, we did a couple's mm -hmm. coaching about six months ago when nine Jake and Gino couples went out to Ireland to be with Phil McKernan. It's, it's called Brave Couple. And I'd never done anything like this before with my wife. Couples coaching, it sounded a little you know, awkward. We've been so focused on the, the family and the kids all these years that we spent four days out there. And what it was is really a journey throughout your life. You go back into your past, into your childhood, and you see how, how, how you were raised, how you grew up, your beliefs that, that you've, that you've carried with you. Were you bullied? Did you have a great childhood? How was your relationship with your parents? How was your relationship with money? Whatever it looks like, you go into the present, see how you are today, and then you try to paint the picture of the future. So if you're struggling in certain parts of your life, like I didn't think I had anger. I'm not an angry person. Mm -hmm. Well, I think everybody listening to this, if they don't think that there's carrying some anger, then they're either delusional or 
they're just pushing it down so far that it's not mm-hmm. there. And then what happens one day, it'll just blow up. I didn't think I had anger around that situation with my brother and, and having to be there and feeling as if I'm trapped there and always providing for him. And there's anger there. There's nothing wrong with it. You'll never be able to get rid of your anger. That's not, I think, the goal to get rid of the anger. It's to process the emotion, let the emotion sit. Most of us are just afraid to do that. We're afraid to be by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Let it let it sit, let it marinate, and then you'll understand when you go off the handle or you make an irrational decision, well, why did you do that? Be aware of that. And if you're aware yeah. of your past, like, why am I so bad with money? Well, it's because maybe when you're seven years old, you kept saying to your, you're hearing your parents talking about money is evil and money is bad, and that's mm-hmm. carried over into your future. So if you're aware of that, then all of a sudden you can be empowered because you can start making decisions based on your conscious thoughts and not just doing things subconsciously. And that's, it's, it's hard work. Therapy may be involved. I think it's really good to look back and see what's gone. Don't get caught in the past and be stuck there for the next five years, but go yeah. back there, figure out what, what really influenced your life back then. See what, and a lot of good things may have come out of it, but whatever you're stuck upon, try to work on that, bring it into the present. And once you can understand that and you're aware of that, you can actually start taking actions and, and don't rush to take actions. I actually had to sit with that emotions for a couple of weeks before I actually made amends or started to try to make amends. Because when we're in that negative emotional state, we make some pretty bad decisions. When we can Terrible. sit yeah. down and think positively, think clearly and all of a sudden things start to look better, that's when you start making those decisions. But don't be in a rush. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, I, it took me a long time, um, a long time, relatively speaking, right, um, uh, to kind of come to some of those realizations, like going through a lot of stuff in the military and doing some of the things that I've done, you know, running around the mountains of Afghanistan. And um, like it, I held on to a lot of stuff that I wasn't thinking I was holding on to. Yes. Um, you know, and, and it was one of, no, I've already dealt with it. It's gone. That's why I'm not worried about it right <laughs> yeah. now. You know, and it's like, you know, <laughs> until I really sat down and dealt with it, it was like, man, I don't. Yes. I didn't realize that I was holding on to this stuff, you know, and, and it, it, the more you do that, just to your point, you know, like it. it yes. It's affecting more of your life than you think. It's affecting, it's affecting more of your relationship it, it, than you think. It's affecting your spouse because for some reason yeah. you may not even understand why you get triggered, why you why you why you have that you have the stimulus mm-hmm. and you get you, you respond a certain way. But if you can understand it well, that's what happened to me. I'll give you a quick story. When I was five years old, I'm with my grandmother and we go to the grocery store. At that time, there's no credit cards. I wanted to buy these toy soldiers. And I remember, Grandma, can you buy them for me? She didn't have any money. She goes, you know, mm-hmm. she, in Italian, she say, Tesoro, when we come back, I'll get them for you. And I still remember to this day that we didn't buy the toy soldiers. And I had that fear that if I didn't buy this thing now, or I, I didn't do this thing now, that it would be escape me. So every time someone sends me an email or I have to do something, I'm very diligent. I get it done. Mm-hmm. But that can be overkill sometimes. It's okay if an email gets on, doesn't get on read for a day or so. It's all right. Now that I understand where that emotion comes from, I can process that emotion and go, okay, I still choose to do that email, but I don't have to have that fear or that anger around that emotion. Yeah. I think that's so important to go back and say, why am I like that? Why am I irritable when I hear this or do this? It's so important because then you can make the decision to be or not to be. That's that's the important part. I can decide to sit on that email. I, I can understand why I'm going through these emotions. Most of us don't even know what those emotions are. Emotions are just sensations. It's yeah. just sensations in your body. We can't even put a word to them because we don't even know them. We don't even let them sit. And I'm, I'm, I am 
game to that. I've been doing that for a long time. I've just been realized this the last several years. I wish I knew this a lot, lot sooner. It would have helped no me kidding. out a lot sooner. But it's one of those things where once you start figuring it out and you start processing it, you just want to know why you're doing it. And are you, is it empowering you or is it disempowering you? And if it's empowering you, great, continue to do it. And if it's not, then choose not to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I, and I would say that it also <laughs> make sure that it's not empowering you at the detriment of your family or, or anything yes, too, right? Yes, because that, that can easily yes, happen, right? Absolutely. But, but that's also a, a, the opposite of empowering. It feels empowering, yes. but it's really not. You're, yes. you're really sabotaging yourself. Yes. You know? yes. But, um, yes. You know, and I, I look at a lot of that and I go, okay, well, what, what could I have affected better in my family's life had I, had I realized this beforehand, right? Had I realized before I started doing X, Y, and Z with my kids, have you, have you looked back at it to go, okay, well, because I didn't think about these things, um, I feel as though I affected my children in this way. And this is how I would like to recover from that or, or maybe recovers the wrong word, but, um, in that, in that, you know, self-actualization and understanding of what, what you're actually doing, like, where did you look back, um, and say, Hey, I think that's why I did X, Y, and Z with uh, Gabriella and Sophia or, or whatever. Or maybe it was with Michael because he was your, your oldest son. Like, did you look back and think any of those things? You know, a couple of things popped to my mind is, is our relationship with money. I always had that scarcity mm-hmm. mindset. And, and I always said, well, we can't do this or we can't do that or, or we have to save money at the detriment of maybe having an experience with them. Yeah. The other thing was with my wife was, you know, the first time we went on vacation by ourselves – was at to a Jake and Gino boot camp. So it's like 18 years of marriage, we never wow. went away by ourselves because I was in the restaurant business. I would close one mm-hmm. week out of the year. We'd all go away on vacation. So the kids were always with us, which is great. But I never had the idea. And the, once again, raised with that concept of money. I can't yeah. waste money going away with my wife for the weekend. My kids are home. I should be going away with them. So that's what's important. So I, I look mm-hmm. back at that and that's one of those things where I wish I had, we wish we had done it sooner. Now, you know, I told you a cameo was going to happen. I told you before we recorded a cameo was going to happen. Live and love. What is that? Mm, not right now. I'll get that later. You want to say hi to Mr. Gino? Hi. <laughs> How are we doing? You doing all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just got out of the pool? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is Rourke sleeping? He's getting dressed right now, and then gonna lay down. In bed. There you go. All right, bud. I'll chat with you after. Love you, dude. We were gonna. You were gonna play a game. All right, hit hit send, and I'll see if I can get to it. Yep. A little bum. Have a terrible day. I mean, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I used to tell the boys all the time when I drop them off at school. So have a terrible day. And their teachers were like, "What?" Like, and then they realize it's just a thing that I tell them. So. <laughs> and I wonder though, like to go back to this guy. Oh, here comes the other one because he he's he, he can't he can't be outdone. That's, That's right. Came in. So, yeah, come here, buddy. Come say hi. Another pool. You're not here to say hi. <laughs> say something to you. Oh, you, you want to say hi to Mister Mister Gino? Uh-huh. No, maybe, maybe. <laughs> He's not there. You smell like you just got out of the pool. No, all right. What are you doing next? What's your What are you going to do next? No, you don't want that in. <laughs> if we're able to what? You want to go jump on trampolines at Sky Zone? Uh-huh. Hmm. 
Let me see what happens after this call. You want to say goodbye to Mr. Gino? Bye. Boo boo. <laughs> I love you, silly boy. I told you they're going to make a cameo. That's just what they do. They like to do it when I'm uh, recording podcasts. That's great. The joys, the joys of working from home. I love it. Mm. Um, I after the years of uh, working all over the world, it's nice to be sitting in one spot and be able to hang out. But now, uh, but you were talking about uh, vacation with your wife. Oh, and that was one of those things where we just never did it. And I think it's a mistake. I think the relationship between the spouses is important. It's paramount. I mean, first God, yeah. then spouses, and then children. And don't use your children as an, yeah. as an excuse not to do something. I can't leave New York because I'd be taking them from their friends. In mm-hmm. fact, in reality is I need to leave New York because I need to cut the boundaries and I need to start over with my wife. We'll be happy. The relationship will be okay. And then the kids will benefit from that long-term. Yeah. I think we're afraid of short-term pain for long-term gain. I mean, the short-term pain is real, but that does lead to long-term gain. I think we have to focus on that as well. Yeah, and I, those are the exact order that I always tell people that, that my, my, my God my wife, my kids. Like, if it's not for my God, then I wouldn't have my wife. If it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have my kids. Mm. So, um, somebody had kept, somebody challenged me and said, well, you should probably put yourself in between God and your wife because if you're not taking care of yourself, goes the whole adage of, you know, put your mask on first. Like, if you're not taking care of yourself and I, like, um, I don't know. I've been struggling with that. Um, I don't remember. I think it was a few podcasts ago. I was talking with somebody and they, they mentioned that and I, I've been struggling with it ever since. I'd love to hear your, so your you'd thoughts have to on that. Go back to his or her psychology. Maybe they didn't have mm-hmm. the self love when they were younger and they're worrying about themselves. Listen, love thy neighbor as thyself. That yeah. precludes that you love yourself. I think that's yeah. important. The happy wife, happy life is probably the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I used to, I used to believe that 20 years ago, but you can't make your spouse happy. You have to make yourself happy. Yeah. And then for making yourself happy, it's not your job to make him or her happy. But if you're happy in your life and you're content, that will rub off and that will bleed into the relationship and I'll make it happy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you have to preclude that. Yeah, really have to take care of yourself, enjoy yourself and love yourself. But me, I, I never felt a lack of love in my, in my, in my life. So I never felt disdain for myself either. So I never even thought of that yeah. putting myself above my wife. I, I'm just put that relationship right up below God and the kids below it. But if, if, if that's the way that person feels more power to them, they have to take care of themselves. Yeah. Once they take care of themselves, they can come fully present. They can come fully engaged. Then they can go out and they can find somebody to love. I think that's, that works for them. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's valid. Yeah, I, maybe that's why I've been struggling on on my thought process on it because I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing something in that area. Yeah. I mean, I I think that if if, hmm. yeah, I guess I mean maybe maybe that person is, and I, I at this point I don't even remember who it was to be honest. Um, but uh, I'd be curious to to reach back out and and ask ask some a similar question. Maybe uh maybe podcast round two for that person mm. so, and uh, bring them back on. But um. So when you, you, uh, it was it 2016, you said you left the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, that was seven years ago. So seven years ago, you already had uh, probably a few hundred doors by that point, yep. if I were to, uh, to guess. Um, uh, but you hadn't started the education company yet, right? I just started it maybe five or six months. So I had a soft, okay. I had a soft landing as we call it in October of 2015. I decided to tell my brother, listen, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to work for the next six months or so, hopefully year and work Monday through Friday 
in my real estate business. And on the weekends, I'll work at the restaurant. And I did that for six months. And after six months, it's like, I, I can't be doing both of them. I needed to have enough income coming in. Plus, I just didn't want to abandon him. So for me, that was mm -hmm. the runway. You don't need to quit your W-2 job. You don't need to leave and go into this full time if you're not making some money. You need to be making some money and earning some income. And, and don't tell me that you don't have the time to do that because you're working nine to five. I was working more because I had a restaurant. So you could figure out the yeah. hours in between. You have 40-hour work week. You got another 20 hours plus a week to be able to put into it. If you do that for six months to a year, you'll have that runway. You'll have that one deal or two deals to be able to say, okay, I can finally ultimately leave my job. And for me, it was more challenging because I had the six kids. I'm living in New York. It's more expensive. Yeah. Uh, Jake had left, I think, a year and a half after our first deal because he was living in Tennessee. He had one child at the time. So his, his balance sheet looked a lot different than mine. Plus he was managing mm -hmm. the assets. So he was get, he was generating income from the property management side. So for us, for, for me, it, 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 it took that extra six months to do it. And then when I left, it was, it was an interesting time. I lived in New York for another six months, went down to Florida, spent a couple months in Florida to see if I actually did like to live here. Freaking loved it. And then I'm like, okay, next mm -hmm. year we come back for a month, live down here at an Airbnb for a month, see if we like it. We did that. And then, you know, three months later, thankfully we sold the house in New York and moved down here. That's awesome. That's, uh, um, I'm happy though. I don't know if you knew this, but I, I moved to Florida recently. Um, uh, um, I guess it's been almost a year now. Um, but, uh, but I love it down here. I'm thrilled to be down here in Florida for sure. Um, no complaints. Uh, yeah. And so the, um, you, you got the, you were working in the restaurant with your dad and then your dad passes. You have, um, six kids, probably what, uh, was that was 2013 you said yeah. or oh seven, your dad passed. So, well, you've only had a couple kids at that point. Um, what, uh, what, if any thoughts did you have about yeah, Michael was already born by that point. So what, any thoughts on him coming into the restaurant? What were your thoughts on it? Like included, like it was a family business at this point. It's, so it's interesting. That's a great question, Adam. I thought at the time that I wanted to delegate to them what they were supposed to do. And if you told me 10 years ago that my oldest daughter is going to be a missionary and my <laughs> second son is discerning for the priesthood, I'd be like, that's just not happening. It's not happening in my world. They're going to be entrepreneurs. They're going to become multimillionaires. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, the only thing you realize when you're in your parenting, what you really need to do is you need to create adults who are loving uh, adults who can make up their own decisions, uh, 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 you know, young adults who can make those decisions and, and they're ultimately going to leave. And you're not there as an entrepreneur to fix their problems. You're there to be mm -hmm. by their side and walk with them. And when they do have a problem, they can come to you and say, Hey, dad, here's the problem. And you're not, you're not able to fix anything. That's not our job is to fix. Your job is just to be there to lend guidance, yeah. to lend support. That's how I've transitioned my thought processes over the last um, six or seven years. And, you know, the oldest daughter, she actually went to college at, when she was a freshman. She went, was in theater and, and music and in the whole Hollywood thing. And after six months, she's like, Dad, I, I want to tell you something. I don't like this at all. She goes, I want to go into youth ministry and philosophy. Best thing I ever heard in my entire life because I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to do theater, but you'll start learning yeah. as you have children when you're telling them your own thoughts and what they're supposed to do. Even though you know you're right, they're going to go against what you say for the most part. They mm -hmm. need to go through those experiences and those challenges. My, my son, 
at the time when he when he started college his freshman year, it was challenging. I mean, like going from a homeschooling environment to a classroom environment where you know the teachers aren't the greatest. They throw they throw homework at you. They don't explain anything to you. He was struggling in the beginning with Excel and all that. And I remember just seeing the tears and, and the sadness. And that is the hardest thing as a parent to sit back and to say, you know what, he has to go through those challenges. You know, uh, what mm-hmm. is it? Iron sharpens iron, or whatever the whatever the saying. Pressure makes diamonds. And if we don't allow our kids to suffer a little bit and to grow, and we're always there to, to help them with that soft landing, that's not going to build uh, yeah. build resilience in our children. That was that was a really hard lesson for me to sit there and watch them cry about homework because it brought back memories for myself when I was in school and mm-hmm. I was challenged. I'm like, I don't really know what the heck I'm doing here either. And my parents couldn't help me. Yeah. They're you know they're both Italian. They're not, they're not school types, so I struggled as well. So I wanted to take that struggle away from him. I think the only thing you can do as a parent is to be there to support them and to lend an, lend an ear and to help them in any way possible, but not actually solve the problem for them. Let them solve their own yeah. problems. And I think that's, I mean, uh, I think that would done. be old. much easier said than done. Was it? Much easier yeah. said than done. But I think it's wise advice across the board, right? right. Whether it's our, you know, our kids, our employees, our, mm-hmm. like the government to us, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if <laughs> I feel like we've created that issue a lot across, across society of wanting and needing to solve everybody's problems. Um, when, you're you're creating people who are just dependent on things, right? They're like our kids are supposed to be our dependents until they're out of the house, and they're only dependent on us, hopefully, for food, shelter. That's that, like, but we need to create. Uh, so the way I usually, the way I've I've liked to rephrase it or reframe it for me is, my kids are like my little businesses, right? And when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, right, my job is to be the CEO of this company, make sure that the company rises to where it needs to be to become independent and then i could just become a board of advisors once like i want to be able to step out as ceo at some point like if all i'm doing is fixing their problems all the time and helping them coddling and doing all those things i'm never going to get to be released mm-hmm. i've seen it in many different families uh both in, in in within my family as well as in other families like like you have 40 year old boys walking around like because they don't know how to how to make decisions for themselves they don't like somebody's got to make the decision for them all the time and it just it baffles my mind. So I, I love hearing you say that because you do have to, as much as it hurts, watch the child go through the trial, the trial, be there for them, support them, but don't coddle them. Like don't like let them, let them work through it. Mm-hmm. Let them figure it out. I mean, your job is not to, your job is to keep them safe from harm, not safe from pain. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there is going to be a difference. Big difference. So, yes. Because um, yeah, they're going to go through heartache. They're going to go through problems. They're going to have issues and it's just part of, like for me, I, uh, my dad worked a lot. He was gone two, three jobs at a time. Um, uh, you know, there were times where he, you know, we lived in way upstate New York and he was down in the city working at Sing Sing prison. And, you know, like I never saw him, like I would very rarely see him. So I got raised a lot by my mom. Um, well, that's a very different upbringing than being raised by my dad. Mm-hmm. So now I look at it and go, oh, why? What, what was I missing out on? What kind of things are there? And it, it explained a lot of, like, I was pretty soft as a kid, and I would imagine that that had a lot to do with it. So um, I, I, I wouldn't say I was a bubble boy, but I mean, I was very I was very safe, you know, and there wasn't, besides climbing trees and doing all that type of stuff, I was, I was actually out adventuring and doing things that kids don't do these days. But mm-hmm. um, but man, I, I, do, uh, I do wish that we were in a, in a spot where I was right there as, you know, having my dad there and doing all the stuff. And it wasn't until I was quite a bit older before, shortly before joining the military. But no, I, I think you're, you're spot on on saying that, that it's, it's not the job to make sure that they're completely protected at all times and let them go through the things. Um, so I, I do struggle a little bit personally with like, cause I, I, I've 
done multiple different jobs to the military for a long time. And what I usually say is I don't want my kids to feel like they have to join the military. Um, uh, like I did. I felt like I, like it was that there was no other option. I didn't feel like I had to join it. Just there was no other option. That's what my parents did. That's what I'm going to do. You know? Um, uh, so I'm trying to include things like I was telling you, we we're going to start homeschooling this year. Um, I want to include some entrepreneur stuff in there to teach them business and math and all the stuff that's going to go involved in that. Um, but I also don't want to make it that I'm pressuring them into doing something. Uh, how did you kind of balance that to make sure that you weren't pressuring them one way or another or um, and ba- maybe balance is the wrong word, but how did you try to prevent yourself from uh, you know forcing a hand one way or another? That's a tough question. Uh, you know, and early on you do, especially when we were homeschooling 20 years ago. Plus it wasn't the cool thing. It was the anti cool thing. Like homeschool kids were weird. Now, ironically, everyone wants to be a homeschool kid. But when we started out, it was difficult. Were yeah. we doing enough work? Were we doing the right work? We didn't have the resources that you guys have now. I mean, there's so many different online academies. There's so many cooperatives, so many different groups around. Back then we had our homeschool group up in New York and it worked really well. And for me, I was always afraid about the money situation. I always wanted them to learn about money. And, and mm-hmm. just having those conversations, those open conversations, letting them in, I think budgeting and sharing a home budget with children, no matter what age, and showing them the value of money, go into a grocery store with $50, and that's all you have, and, or 100 whatever it is, and buy the groceries for 100 bucks, and you see how long, how far it goes. Let, let them understand what the value of money is. Uh, they're too young to understand savings and investing at that age. And when they get to be in their teens, then they'll start to be naturally curious, curious and inquisitive. My 14-year-old, the other day, we're talking about life insurance and whole life, and I love whole life, and I pull up a policy mm-hmm. for her, and she looks at the policy. I got them all, and all six kids, she sees the death benefit. I said, here's your death benefit. And she's like, I'm worth a million dollars. I said, only if you're dead. I don't want you to be dead, but I got this <laughs> for you. There's cash value in there. You're saving money every every mm-hmm. year. So she's understanding now the savings component. She's understanding life insurance. She's understanding the value of death. She already had a job, so money was going into her into her account for, for, for paychecks and for, for that. So don't try to push things on them. Let the conversation take over naturally. Some kids will gravitate towards the subject. Some kids don't. Find the genius in each child and let each child, you know, attract their genius. This, this, my, my 14 year old that I'm talking about, she hates school. She does not like reading. She does not like, but she's very athletic. And when she finds something she likes, she'll latch onto it and she'll crush it. But if I'm sitting there and telling her to do this and do that, she's not going to, she's, she's going to rebel and she's going to hate school. Your two sons mm-hmm. who walked in right now, how is it can, we can put those kids in school for eight hours and expect them to sit watching? It's not even natural. It makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. And everyone has ADHD. No, the whole system is not created for <laughs> education. You know, and there's yeah. no education involved. It's more of indoctrinization. And that's the problem with the school system right now. So your child, you may be saying to yourself, oh, he's struggling in school. Find out what he or she really likes and let them do more of that because they'll gravitate towards that. They'll get confidence yeah. around that. They'll start to enjoy that. Then they'll see other things. And the other thing is math may not be a fun topic for most kids. But make it relatable to life skills. Bring them out. Let them see when they go to the store how much money, is, how much change they need to make. Make it practical. Because if they're sitting there reading something, like we all went through it. Why do I need to know calculus? I don't want to learn it mm-hmm. if I'm not going to be able to use it. So when the kids are younger, teach them skills that they're going to be able to learn as they go throughout life and find out what their geniuses are and focus on what they really like. And don't be afraid of other subjects because they'll catch up. I mean, we rarely did sciences during our during during um, our school years for homeschooling in high school. It's just more challenging. But now 
my 17 year old is going to massage school and she's learning all about pain management, body work. She's mm -hmm. learning all about bones and skeletal. She loves that stuff now. We never really went hard into it, but now she's found a passion to it. And that's what she's going to school for. So find out what they like and focus on that. Awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's hard to some. It's hard, I think it's hard sometimes to separate what we like versus what they <laughs> yes. like, and that's that's a you know it goes almost to what you were talking about with your dad. Like, are you were you you know I'm, am I in the restaurant because am I living my dad's dream or my dream or like is this actually what I want to do? And mm -hmm. it took a, a major life um, life change of losing your father to really start thinking about this thing. Mm -hmm. But for me, this was one of the, like leaving the military was one of my major major life changes. Well, getting married was massive because I was very paycheck to paycheck before I got married. So talk about a, a, a whirlwind of a change marrying the woman I did, right? Yeah. Uh, what a what a great opportunity that was. Um, and then, you know, leaving the military, another big one, like uh, it was like having those moments to be able to sit back and reflect and look at what you're doing. And, and I, I'm taking the opportunity now with the homeschool to do the same thing. Like, what have I been exposing my kids to? What would I like to expose my kids to? Um, you know, what opportunities have they been, have been taken from them? One of them seemed to be actually enjoying being a child, right? Like, I mean, my son, I felt like he was at school 50 hours a week, which he really was like yes. between the drive to school, sitting down in class, coming home, doing more homework. homework. I'm like, he's in third grade. Yes. He's in third grade and he's got two hours of homework. Yes. I don't, I just, it baffled my mind. And think about that. Most um, of us go to work. We work less hours at a job than what the average child is going to. And then, then every child has to be in every single sport. Um, they all have to do, you know, you know, travel. I think travel sports is actually mm -hmm. the demise of the family because you're out there, you know, going to, you know, travel hockey or travel basketball. Great. But when you have six kids, you can't do that. Oh, you guys like gymnastics? Yeah. Three of you are going to be in gymnastics. Oh, you like tennis? Three of you are going to be into tennis. And that's what we do. We <laughs> never let that ruin yeah. our weekends or ruin our things. Um, that's just that's just the way we looked at it. And I think it's important what really fits with your family. Just think about that that, that because I think most of us get caught up in these sports and all this other stuff and all this extracurricular stuff. It's all busy and it's always taking time away from the family. And I guess mm -hmm. one of our core values is we want to spend time with the family. That's why we homeschool. The kids have such a great relationship amongst themselves that, that that's what was important to us. The nine-year-old loves the 23-year-old. They have a great relationship. If they went to school, they'd never see each other. They really would have a close yeah. relationship. So that's the reason why we chose uh, to, to homeschool. No, I, I love it. I mean, I, it was, it was my wife that took some convincing to do the homeschool thing for me. I'm like, I, I left the military to be able to spend time with my family. I, like, I don't want to keep losing these hours. Yes. And, you know, one of my, uh, one of my friends in GoBundance, Aaron Amuchastegui, um, he and his wife wrote a book, um, uh, called the five hour school week. And one of the things she talked about in that book was, um, we're getting like, it, when you send your child to school, you're basically getting like the worst of your child and the child's getting the worst of you because you like, you wake up in the morning and you're rushing to get out the door. And oh, like, yes. uh, is this made? Do you have your clothes on? Have you brushed your teeth yet? You're driving to school. You drop them off. They go through all the stuff they're going through. You come home, you do your work, you do all your stuff. You go back and pick them up. And now both of you guys are spent and you got to sit down and do an hour or two of homework. Neither one of you guys are excited to do the hour or two of homework and you're, you're both drained. And then let's, let's rush through dinner. Oh, nope, never mind. We got to go to soccer practice first. We'll grab dinner at Chick-fil-A on the way and then it's like you never get your family yes um that sounds tiring by the way and i'm tired listening oh, to what you okay. imagine <laughs> you imagine doing that i never did that by the way so for yeah. us you really need between two and three solid hours a day of school if you're going to homeschool mm -hmm. you need between i'd say three hours tops because if you think of all the time spent getting to school in between periods recess mm -hmm. lunch break 
if they put in three hours out of that eight hour school day, that's a lot of work. So don't think you need to spend all the time sitting there the whole day. You were up by eight o'clock. You could probably be done before lunch. And if you want to take a break, go back yeah. to lunch afterwards for a little bit. It is, it, it definitely is a lifestyle. And I, I think you'll see that how much more connected you'll be with your kids and how much more connected your kids will be amongst, amongst themselves as well. Yeah, for sure. I, that's what I've, I, I mean, even this summer, just watching the two of them play together. And now, you know, we have a daughter now, three months old, that, that, oh, yeah, like, yeah. as she's growing up, she's going to be able to see this and be involved a little bit more. And yes. like, they love being with her. Yes. Um, so like now, like, so I want to take my, like, I love the fact that they're close. I love that. Like, I don't want to take that mm-hmm. to your point. Like, they're going to spend eight hours a day at school and never see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, why, why do that to them? So plus, I love to travel. So if I could drag them around with me, I, I travel the world without my kids. Um, so now I'd like to travel the world with my kids. Yes. So if I could drag them with and I'd like what better history lesson than to go to Philadelphia and go walk through like where, where all of our, you know, founding documents were written and see the Liberty Bell and do all that. Like, okay, we just finished history class for the, for the week. You yeah. Know? Like, man, what a blessing. Mm-hmm. But, um, all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll come back to homeschool cause I'm, it's, it's very fresh on my brain at the moment, but, um, the uh you said that your 14 year old already had a job is that with with you like employed by you or is there another job that she's doing she was in gymnastics and she was really good and they just liked mm-hmm. her and at 14 years old she was offered the job and the problem was the job is was really challenging for her because they threw her in a room with four and five year olds and here's a 14 year old with like 15 four and five year olds she has no training she'd come home mm-hmm. like afraid deathly afraid and she's like i don't want to do this anymore and you know old gino would say you gotta you gotta suck it up you gotta stick there it's your job (laughs) you need to do that the newer one i had sympathy and i had compassion for her i'm like she must and she'd cry she must be really and she's an awesome gymnast but she didn't have the tools at 14 years old to be able to help these four Mm -hmm. and five year olds it's not like she had other people help working with her so for her she did it for about six months she saw how challenging that was she's like oh man I don't want to do that job anymore, which is great. And I think, yeah. I think it's important that she learned that lesson. So the next job she looks for, she can look for something else. My son, when we moved to Florida, uh, I had him go work at a restaurant. A re- oh, actually Salt Life. Remember Salt Life where me and you were having that lunch mm-hmm. that day? He went to work at that whole restaurant for about a year as a busboy making nine bucks an hour and by mm-hmm. himself for lunch up and down. And it was a hard job. And by the end of it, he's like, dad, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm like, well, Mike, you have to go to college. You're going to have to invest in real estate because <laughs> if you don't do that, you're going to have to be a busboy. Then he went and got a job at another yeah. high-end restaurant, enjoyed it, liked it, was really good at it. But you want to instill that hard work ethic in the children. Um, my 17-year-old has yet to get a job. It's been challenging to get a job in Florida, but she's going to college. And like I said, all the kids are different. My 12-year-old was ready to work three years ago. So as soon as she turns 14, she's going to public. She'll... She'll figure it out. She's just, uh, she's great <laughs> at school. She's great at, uh, making friends and she's gonna, she's gonna love, she's gonna love the, uh, she's gonna love the job. Awesome. So it's 14 in Florida to be able to work. It is 14. And the thing is, when you're homeschooled, you can't work during school hours. Because <laughs> you can't even if you're, you're homeschooled, you're supposed to be at school. So I mean, like basically, yeah. she she should be working. You're like, hey, mom, I'm done with school. It's twelve o'clock, but that's one of the labor yeah. laws, so she won't be able to do. It. But you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. 
Um, have you thought about putting the kids to to work for you inside of uh, one of the businesses with you? They have. I mean, Gabriella, and I'm a tough boss. I just, yeah, I wasn't a good boss to them. And it's funny, mm. I would catch myself sometimes yelling at her. And because I, hey, I want this video done. She did a lot of video recording, a lot of editing. And then one day my wife's like, do you speak to your employees like that? I'm like, no, you've got a point. Never really have spoken to my employees like that. But I had, yeah. so what gave me the right to be able to speak to my kids that way? And it was an enlightening moment for me. And I just had to realize, why was I doing that? Oh, maybe it's because I got it from my father and the way I was treated because that's just how mm-hmm. the old generation would, would, would be able to do it. And I'm like, okay, that was an enlightening moment. And the kids still do work. They still do work inside the business. They come to all the events. Um, they help with the books sometimes. They'll help with some kind of video, some kind of editing. So I, I'm more than open for them to work. And my son is uh, investing in our deals as well. So he's investing in mm-hmm. our deals. And what I, what I would love haven't told me yet, but I would love is when he graduates college to go up to Tennessee and work six months in property management just to see the, the inner workings of the business yeah. and just to get an idea of it right now because he's really intelligent as far as spreadsheets, as far as underwriting, as far as capital. He gets all that component of the business, probably a little asset management, but I want him to property manage. And, and, and because I want him to see that it's such an important component of the business and that property managers have a tough job. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when you're sitting in an office and you're air conditioning, your asset manager, you're saying, why do property managers, why aren't they pulling that through? Well, it's a hard job. It's a thankless job because if you're doing a great job, yeah. they're going to fire you because they're going to sell the property. And if you're doing a bad job, they're going to fire you because you're not, you're not doing the right job. So it's a hard and challenging job. So for him, yeah. like you had spoken before, to have empathy and to see the other side, it's always good to be part of the other side. If you're going to be a leader, go through those trials and those tribulations, learn what it is to be that way. So when you're actually running a business or you have your investments, you'll understand what they're going through. So you'll be able to empathize with their struggles and maybe you'll be able to bring something to the table. That's awesome. And I think I think the way you guys are structured too, because you guys are vertically integrated and everything, that helps on that on that property management side too. Like like they have the desire to actually be good. Oh yeah. And not worry about you selling it, mm-hmm. right? Because well, nah, you guys you guys are my employees. You're gonna hang out with me regardless. Yes. And I want all of my properties to be strong. So you guys have actually inspired I really want to do that with my real estate and, and build it up in a vertically integrated way because it just like I could see that being the pathway to much greater success and continuity across your properties. Um, is that kind of why you guys did that? Or what was the uh, the beginnings of you, you guys going to that route? Oh, when Jake and I got together, Adam, as God is my witness, we said, it, all we need is 100 units. We'll be thrilled. We'll be happy. <laughs> I mean, we hit 100 units you know, within a, two years, three years of knowing each other. But I always had in the back of my mind that I didn't want to become the next Bernie Madoff, the next massive hedge... I didn't want that in my life. I just wanted enough money. I don't. I definitely don't want to be the next Bernie. Well, Madoff, you know what I'm saying? But Bernie, Bernie, <laughs> Bernie, before he became Bernie, was super successful. Yeah. He was making fifty to sixty mil a year. He was actually a, yeah. a really, you know, in the psychology of money, how much is enough? When is enough enough? Mm-hmm. We need to ask that ourselves that question. I think Bernie never asked himself that question. It was more going down into that psychosis and just. You know, that, that whole ego for me and Jake early on, we just wanted to focus on PPU, profit per unit. We wanted to have a vertically integrated company where we could buy a couple of deals a year. That's all we've done. Two to three deals a year for the last 10 years. Continue to grow slow methodically, like the book Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. I recommend everyone to read it. We didn't need to be the next 
Facebook or the next Uber. We wanted to have profitable businesses and every property that we bought made financial and fiscal sense. We're able to refi it out, able to hold it for the long term. That was our strategy. That's what we wanted. And I think it's worked well for us. We've been able to grow and not outgrow our infrastructure. Like the Chick-fil-A, if you look at the Chick-fil-A model, they've been around for 40 Mm -hmm. years. They started out in Atlanta. Then from Atlanta, they went to the Southeast, then regional, then national. But it's taken them a long time. And for us, I think we're successful because we haven't outgrown our infrastructure. We haven't done deals that don't make sense. And maybe passed up on a couple of deals where we weren't ready, where we didn't have the right people in place. Over over the last three years, I mean, the pandemic has been hard to find employees, to find supply chain Mm -hmm. problems. So some deals may have made sense but at the time we can't take them on because we can't staff properly we don't have enough you know enough supply we're trying to turn these units we can't turn them so for us focusing on what we have not outgrowing that infrastructure has really led to some amazing profitability some amazing deals and now that we're starting to continue to grow our revenue projections we want to grow at 20 percent a year that's what we're looking to do year wow. over year. Nice. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you think rent growth is between three and four oh, percent a year, solid. that yeah, <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. There, and then all you need to do is a couple hundred units a year, because we're not really selling mm-hmm. anything. So if we sell something, we'll need to replace it. But that and also having our employees, if they've been working with us for the last two years, to be able to invest in those deals as well, that's pretty great because we don't believe in 401ks, but hey, you're a property manager, you're working with us for two years, invest in the deal because you're going to materially participate in this deal. And then, like your shirt yeah. says. Capitalism kicks in like, oh, wow, we need to raise rents. These, now they understand mm-hmm. ownership. They understand risk. They understand working hard and trying to create revenue and trying to create NOI in that property because they own part of yeah. the property. So that really, really is a, has been really helpful for us in the last, I guess, six or seven deals that we've been able to have our, our employees invest with us. Yeah, that's, I was, uh, you guys were, were kind enough to, to let me in on the Skillbridge program for the last six oh, months yes. in the military. And it was awesome to watch that and see what the, see what your, your folks talking about it on their L10s and in the meetings. And it was really cool to, to, to see. Um, and, uh, it, yet another thing that I was motivated by, I was like, man, I, I really like that concept because, man, what, like, literal ownership do people then take on their job, right? Because now they're literally owning part of the work that they're doing. Yes. Um, and like uh, such, so much more aspiration to keep this thing driving forward and keep it driving forward. And um, I'm interested though, if uh, if you're open to going into it, how did you guys structure those in, in to, uh, for like the employee uh, benefit side of the house? Like, is it just, uh, uh, did you guys still have same minimums for investments or how, how do you guys actually structure well, that? So what we ended up doing was we ended up creating like a syndication structure. I mean, equal, there's no waterfall, there's no, there is no mm-hmm. um, fees, but it basically technically is a syndication because we're taking money from a lot of the employees without an expectation of them doing any work. They, they may be working, but may, may not be working on that property. So we just created a syndication structure, PPM, offer okay. memorandum, sent the whole thing out and it's dollar for dollar. And if they've been with the company for at least two years, they can invest as much capital as they as they they can afford to. The cool thing about it is, you know, the last deal we just did was um was a ten and a half million dollar deal. We needed to raise a little under three million dollars. Me, Jake, and my partner bought about eighty percent of the deal. We left twenty percent open for mm-hmm. the employees. And whoever, you know, whoever I, I think there's probably fifteen or twenty employees that that qualify. They've been there for at least two years. And what I like about it is we got a couple of Jake and Gino guys, you know, investing in the deal and that makes me really happy really proud because if you're going to sell buicks you better buy buicks if you're selling multifamily yeah. education i want you to invest in our deals to to, to see the benefits yeah. and to be bought into the thing so for us it's a win-win all around they're buying great deals 
they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're actually able to mm-hmm. say with with credibility i invest in multifamily i want to teach other people and i want to sell education on multifamily because i believe in the vehicle yeah and i mean, I, I very much believe in the vehicle as well oh. and i think that that having that uh that buy in you know similar like with our with the education company itself like you you better have gone through the education know why we're why we're pushing what we're pushing mm-hmm. because there's like it, it just brings out a different passion in you when you actually, you know, there's a, a book, Good to Great, um, that talks about like uh, level five leaders and and what it is inside of those people that are that are really pushing um, the pushing themselves properly and helping move the company in the right way and having that passion behind it. I forgot which company it was they were talking about. It was like, uh, I don't know, like we'll say... Um, Johnson and Johnson, like with deodorant and stuff, like or, or whoever it was, right? And they in the book, he was talking about like they they passed up on a person because they just didn't seem passionate enough about the deodorant. Mm-hmm. You know, like they need to be passionate and and be there for the right. Like you have, like if you have that belief in your company, you're going to have such a better group of people that that are are helping you push the company forward. Um, have you? I know you guys are running on EOS um, on the uh, uh, property management side and everything. Do you run EOS on? Uh, Jake and Gino side as well. Very similar. Uh, yeah, we've used scaling up with Rockefeller habits and you know the, the Vern Harnish okay. method. So we're using both. So it's really a crossover, and that's the great thing about it. Whatever we're learning on the education side, like you're having these podcasts, I'm able to bring it over into the property management side. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that we've learned yeah. as investors and learned as as property managers, it's we're learning it from from the student base and and from all from other podcasts. So that's that's the amazing part. I mean, the part that you struggle with with when you're becoming a leader is to try to be a visionary. You know, you, you want to be able yeah. to lead people and you want to be able to create a vision, but we're all stuck in the daily business. But to be able to provide that vision and for me, the education company, the vision is pretty easy. We're we're affecting thousands of families. I mean, we've had like 120, yeah, 120 students have actually quit their W-2 jobs and gone into it full time. I mean, students have closed over 70,000 units. I mean, that's the vision, guys. We're here to help other people attain that level of success that we have. You want to be part of that. And I think most people would say, yeah, I want to be part of an organization that's vibrant, that's trying to help others. And that's what I think a leader has to want to aspire to and has to show that vision. And I think Building the culture and the core values within your organization takes a little bit of time. I think you need to flesh those out. And those are really, really important. That's why I only had one restaurant for 20 years. And within five years, mm-hmm. I had 1,500 units. It's not that simple. But at the same time, it sort of is that simple. It's not easy, but it is that simple. Yeah, I didn't have that framework, simple. that North Star. And once I've understood that, you know, this, the education company is, it's a lot of fun. There's a, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of people in the space. I just think we've created a great platform and a great community. And I think we believe in what we're doing. And I think long-term will be great. Yeah. And I'll say that I'm one of those people for sure that you've made a massive mm-hmm. difference in. So I think long-term, you you know, you're on the right track. Even, let me see. Here's your guys' first syndication. Yes. Thing here. Yeah. That was a nice, uh-huh. nice deal, wasn't it? I love that deal. Yeah. That was a good deal for yes. sure. Yeah. I like that one a lot. <laughs> um, and there was, let me see. Here, Chef. The things you guys uh, said, yeah, absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. <laughs> um, but I think you're, you're uh, 
the amount of impact that it's made also, and, and I think sharing that with, with your team, I'm sure is, is super helpful to make sure that they are aware of what's going on and how much of an impact you make and the, you know, the amount of success that the, the students have had. Um, what do you, uh, do you guys have like inside your it's quarterly meetings or whatever it is to kind of share those successes among, among the, uh, the team to help keep everybody motivated? Oh, and there was one more question before that that I wanted to ask. The reason the EOS thing was the, um, uh, core values. Like how did you guys create your core values? So oh. however you want to work sure. that around. So either core values or, um, you know, meetings, however you want to go about Core that. values were a little challenging. We actually had coaching with uh, the scaling up people. It took about two quarters. We would sit down, we'd write down what we really held true, what we really believed in. It's not a marketing ploy. It's not a marketing pitch. Mm -hmm. We came up with people first, unwavering ethics, extreme ownership, growth mindset, and make it happen. Those were our core values. We came up with BHAGs that, that have been, you know, changed around mm -hmm. our big hair audacious goals. Ours at Jake and Gino's, I want to be able to, to affect and, you know, help a thousand people quit their W2 jobs by the year 2030. That's something that I, that's one of my big hair audacious goals. And, you know, our mission statement is we create communities that empower people to be the best versions of themselves, whether you're in the property management side, at the time we're syndicating for our investor base, Jake and Gino for our students. So once you clear that out, you really need to dive deep. And if it's something that you don't think you can do, coaching is great because it'll hold you accountable. You'll get the work done. You'll put in the reps mm -hmm. and you'll block the time out to do it. Because I know there's not enough hours in a day to do this stuff. But if you don't work on this stuff early on as you're scaling up, you're going to turn around and go and say, I've got 500 units and I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I have no systems. I've got nothing. And it's going to be really hard for me to employ people. And it's going to be really hard for me to employ vendors and, and even, even people that you're trying to put in live residence or living in your property. You don't have, you won't have control of any of that stuff. And that's what happened with Jake and myself at about the 600 unit level. We're like, we need to change. We, we you know, Jake can't be going yeah. out to all the properties. We have to figure something out here. And it was a relatively large investment, probably one of the best investments we've ever made in education for scaling the company. But we need to do that. Start out with traction. Traction is great. Read the book, implement those. But once you start paying for coaching and you start getting on those calls and having those meetings every quarter with your coaches, it really opens up to another level because now all of a sudden you've got skin in the game. When you've got skin in the game, mm -hmm you're not going to waste that money. You're not going to waste that time. So if you're doing it by yourself, it may feel good and you may do really well, but you know, deep down inside that accountability, when you have to meet somebody on a call, you're not going to drop that call. You're going to get that work done for the call. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, uh, uh, that's one thing that I, I've, I've had a couple coaches and I just, I want to dig in a little bit more and have, uh, have a more, I don't know what the right word is, but I definitely need to go and get get another coach to be able to push me one more, like push me to another level. Like I'm, I feel like I'm at a point right now where, like I've, uh, uh, it, it's the old saying, "What what got you here won't get yeah, you there." Yeah. You know, like what yep. got you to a million won't get you to ten million. Right. Won't get you to ten million won't get you to hundred million. Like it, I need some other tools, and reading the books and trying to figure it out myself is not necessarily going to be the way I'm doing it because I've read you know a couple hundred books over the last two years, and like it's okay. It can, but it'll take uh, a lot longer. It, it will take a lot yeah. longer and then you have limiting beliefs. And I think just getting into different rooms, joining with different mentorship groups. That's why people say education's, education is never a waste. You'll always learn something. Yeah. And it's not even that. It's the networking and it's the people that you meet in those rooms. And all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, the pizza guy's got how many units? The drug reps? Got, he, if he can do it, then I can do it. And that, that's the whole idea mm -hmm. of that. And then you're meeting people within that community and then you're getting these ideas. We had an event a couple months ago, uh, last month in July, 
and we had the manager right. And I was struggling with this whole no smoking policy. We want to do no, we want to do a no smoking policy in all of our properties in Tennessee. And I'm like, tennis, no one's going to go for that. And we had a student there and he's like, dude, I just did it in my, one of my Kentucky properties in Kentucky's the cat, you know, tobacco king, king of the world. He's like, best thing I ever did. I thought there'd be a little bit of pain. Some residents that were there didn't like it, but the new residents, they're all for it. You're saving on your turns. There's no smell. Yeah. There's that. I'm like, oh, so if I didn't have the community or I wasn't able to be in that room and hear him, I may not pull the trigger and do that, or I may take a lot longer to do that. Now that we know that that's a possibility and it's been done and other people are doing it, it's like, okay, game on. We're going to start testing it and rolling out to, uh, to some of our properties. So that's just the power of getting in the right room and trying to expand that mindset of, hey, you know, I can't do that. How can I do that? Or who can help me to do yeah. that? When are you going to start implementing that? That's a good question. It's, it's, it's one of those things where the priorities. So we're in the middle of the quarter. Maybe we make that a Q4 priority. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where you become a machine gunner and you start throwing too many priorities onto your team. You know, when you start doing too many, you end up doing none. So that's something where yeah. I know. And I think Q4 is probably going to be the test run, uh, for that policy. Okay. Yeah. Cause too many priorities mean no priorities. That's right. right? Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, it's hard to be a priority if it's one of 15. Uh, so, uh, yes. How have, how have you kind of scaled that to, uh, you know, how do you prioritize throughout a quarter or at the beginning of your quarter? What is your process for prioritizing what you're doing? Um, uh, I mean, obviously, some things are a fire. You have to get the fire extinguished. You can put it out. But that's not like a priority. That's an energy situation. What do you what do you what's your process like to be able to create your, your priorities for a quarter? So every every quarter we do have a a day where we we pull aside the executive teams. We had Ram Partners. We've got J Jake and Gino and Ram Property Management. We get together for the day. A priority is anything that takes eight or more hours to pull through. A task is uh, things that you need to do to pull the priority. So if you need to create a website. That is a priority. It's going to take you more than eight hours. Then when you're at the quarterly meeting, you decide what priorities you need to work on. And then from there down, you start, you start, uh, assigning the person to the priority. Cause if two people are, you know, ahead of that priority, then nobody's accountable. So you need to have one person mm -hmm. with that priority. It depends upon where you are in the business. For Jake and Gino, it usually comes down to sales and marketing. So those are our priorities. Always to come up with different marketing campaigns, uh, come up with different ideas. Uh, last last quarter, we just launched the website. So that that priority was a massive one because we've got thousands of articles and blogs. So that bled over into, into the next quarter. In 2020, when COVID came about, we're through the uh, through March, April. We didn't have you know video. Uh, Video leasing, virtual leasing. We didn't have that on, but all of a sudden we knew we needed it because you couldn't go out and show units. Mm -hmm. So be flexible. If something does pop up and, and it has to get done like that, we'll, we'll do it. Don't worry about, Oh, it's not that quite put something on the shelf and implement that right away. I would see what you're lacking in your business, what you need to drive the business forward. And for us at, at one point in, in the, in the property management company, we're always doing different things, whether we're working on property logs, you've seen the weekly pulses continue to rise those working on building a CapEx team or another CapEx team, uh, working on vendor management, whatever ends up popping up this, this quarter, we're working on a shed where we're, oh, we can, where we can start doing more videos for our trainings, for, our, for, our, for our maintenance team. So we're doing that. Um, depends upon what you're doing. Let's say you're taking over property right now. We, we worked on this takeover doc. 
it took over a quarter to do the dock. Now we're every time we do take over a property, we're using that dock. So whatever you see holes in the business, and I would say probably depending on the size of your team, no more than four or five really big priorities a quarter. Because I think yeah. once you try to do more, it's it can get really challenging. And then every week we get in our weekly executive meetings, huddles, Mondays, eight o'clock. We go over them for 45 minutes. What did Jake and Gino's team do this week? What did Ram Partners do? What did Ram Property Management do? We all give each other updates. And it's more like a weekly huddle where we're sort of supporting each other. And for 13 weeks, you're going through those. So you're always top of mind. Mm-hmm. I need to work on these priorities. I've got other stuff going on in the business. Here's fires here, but I need a couple hours a week to work on these priorities. And that's how you get to pull them through. I really love the 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 shed thing you just said because like you're almost pulling from Jake and Gino and putting it into yeah. rant yes. right and saying hey th- like we do education this is yes what we do you know like let's do education mm-hmm. for our company and mm-hmm. um is that something you guys just now started or have you guys been doing like video education we, for your, we have a whole team? Uh, training platform on. Kajabi for brand property okay. management. So there's maintenance, like, like, you know, how to change a toilet, how to change a thermostat, uh, those kinds of things. So, so the, the training, but we want to bring the training to the next level. And also we're doing leadership training as well for property managers and also leasing and helping property managers as far as leasing and sales as well. So we're, we're building those out because we want to have constantly have training systems to be able to train the employees. It's hard. You, you employ mm-hmm. somebody new. It's like, okay, what do I do now? And you want, to be able to retain the employees. And I think not having a plan for the employees, I would challenge everybody out there to go read the book, Never Lose a, Never Lose an Employee by Joey Coleman. He just came out with another book. He, he had the, the, the book called Never Lose a Customer. Um, and it was about the customer journey. He just launched one about the employee journey. And it's important when you're hiring employees to have them see your vision, but also to be able to give them a platform to be able to succeed. So if they come in and there's no training, there's no, there's no diligence, you're not giving mm-hmm. any guidance, no expectations. Well, that employee is going to ultimately leave, but that's what we're trying to do with our company. We're trying to give them the training and the tools to be able to su- be successful in their, in their business, in their, in their role. I love that. I'm. Solid notes on that section. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the um, uh, one other thing I want to go back to the core value thing. You'd mentioned uh, quite a bit ago that uh, one, uh, like a core value for your family. Um, do you did you go through an exercise with your family as well, similar to the core values thing with the business, or um, is this more of just like a uh, inherent core value inside the family? I had a partner who uh, you used to work with is. He created something called the family placemat. I don't even know if it's still out there, mm-hmm. but it's really a placemat where he puts his core values, he puts uh, th- uh, his rhythms for his for his family. I didn't go that far. I just knew that the core values for our family is you know go to church every Sunday. Uh, you know um, mm-hmm. that was really important for us, whether we're on vacation or so. That's something that we aspire to do. You know. Eating together—that's something that we will will always do together. Homeschooling is another one. So. For us, it's not as structured as the business. And for me and my wife, we're always together. So, you know, Jake does level 10 meetings with his wife every Sunday on Sunday. And that's something that if, if, if you're not in wavelength with your wife, then maybe that's something you do. But I'm later with my wife every day. She sees my calendar. We even do podcasts together. So she knows what's going on. So I don't need that level of attention, but you can run your business. Your family like the business. It really is the same thing. They're they're, yeah. they're they're living, growing entities. They're constantly changing. What you knew when your child was two, you're going to be a different parent when your child is 22. So you need to continue mm-hmm. to process and continue to learn, continue to be flexible as well. And for us, it just 
I don't say it came naturally, but she was home raising the kids. And then I'm coming home. We have that great open relationship. We're able to communicate. So if you're having struggles with the communication aspect of it, set up a level 10 meeting, maybe like do a quarterly priority with your children. My friend, Jim Shields wrote a book called 18 Summers. It's a great book. Oh, I love that really book. simple yeah. book. But I mean, yeah. I don't know. Like whoever thought about doing a quarterly meeting with your kid and let them choose whatever mm-hmm. they want to do. You want to go to the park? You want to go on trampolines for the day? Whatever you want to do. And you spend that time four times a year, four days with each child. I mean, that is a great way to bond, great way to build. And to be able to build those rhythms within your business, you should be able to build them within your family as well. So, Yeah, yeah that was actually one of the books that... Uh, started my thought process on homeschooling too oh. because finally have 18 summers with them like yes there's a man like what a what a shocking statement to hear right and and put it in that perspective and i've sold that to a few people now that are you know not business not business oriented they want to you know it, you know family board meetings and things like that when it come to their brains but to, to put it in that perspective like man oh man like how crazy is that but adam um, the power with that is I get what Jim's saying with 18 summers, but you create a great relationship that even after they, they get yes. older, like my daughter's 23, she is a missionary right now, but she's coming to Italy with us in two weeks because she wants to hang mm-hmm. out with us. If she doesn't go back to missionary work, she can come back home and live with us at home because we have that kind of relationship. So the first 18 years are great for formative. They will leave and they will get older, but they will come back and they're going to want to come yeah. back because you've created the time and you've spent the time and the effort into that relationship. That's what it's all about. It's not all doom and gloom. If your kids are 16 years old, you're like, I only got two years left. Well, make those two years freaking powerful. So when they do turn 18, they want to come back. And that's something I talked to my wife about was like, you know, if we crush those 18 summers in the right way, like we're going to have. Yes. 50 more summers after that because they're going to want to come home and see Mm -hmm. me like it's you know they're going to want to be around i love being around my parents my parents moved to florida a couple years ago um so now they're like 40 minutes from me Ah. it's wonderful Mm -hmm. my wife's my wife's family uh, like her brother lives literally five minutes away like we're near family we love being around family so if we foster that in our family we're going to be able to to hopefully keep that for years and years and decades to come Mm -hmm. um one thing that I think you and I did very well um, is uh, we married up. Uh, so tell me, you you have like a what seems to be obviously um, you know I don't live in the house with you, but a fantastic relationship with your wife. You guys have uh, you seem to communicate well. Um, I, obviously, not everything is rainbows and butterflies in in any relationship. But um, talk to me a little bit about the the dynamic between you and your wife, and like how you guys. Uh, manage the family as well as like, you know, communicate with each other about kids and like, you know, maybe, you know, not in this particular example, but like, I really want to do homeschool and I don't want to do homeschool at all. How does the communication aspect work between you guys to to make sure that you're fostering the right relationship with each other and representing well for your kids? I think I can honestly say that my wife probably saved my soul because early on I was more into the materialistic. I was more into making the money and less into, I wouldn't say family, but that wasn't my focus. I was focused on just supporting and providing for the family. And, you know, she kept telling me, God's going to provide. Don't worry about it. She had a different outlook on money that I did. And as the years you know, grew. I just made her understand my outlook on money and she started adopting. Well, what's financial freedom? Well, financial freedom is doing what you want when you want. You want your mom to come down? Mm-hmm. I can fly her down. Oh, you want to have somebody come over and do a sabbatical for a month? Well, I can, I can get them an Airbnb. It's not going to, it's not going to kill me. So I think being open and, and trying to explain your side, I think for, for, for us men, we're always trying to solve and trying to fix. 
That's not mm-hmm. the name of the game. The name of the game is to be able to listen. I think that's the problem. And once I went to life coaching school, that's when it really helped me out as far as relationships, because all of a sudden I became a better listener. I became more in tune with my feelings and understanding what was going on with me. But even early on, I, my wife trusted me with a lot of things, trusted me with, with work, trusted me with our investments, trusted me with when I decided to leave the restaurant. And I had massive trust for her when she wanted to uh, have, have a baby at home. I'm like, you want to have a home birth? What, what is that? I don't even know what I my you know, and the pressure from the family to like, you're crazy. And that's my, been my whole life yeah. because I've homeschooled home birth, real estate, you know, that's all foreign to most people. And the pressure, uh, the, we had a podcast with Brad Lee and he used the word alladoxophobia. Never heard of what that word was. You know, you know what that is? Cause I'm always asking him, how do you build a brand? And alladoxophobia is the fear of other people's opinions. And if you go through life and you're always worried about what other people think, it's going to be challenging. But if you have a spouse that you believe in and that you trust, it'll make those decisions a lot easier. When we started homeschooling, no one was homeschooling. I was the weird guy. I had the restaurant. I had public school teachers coming in and asking me, well, where does your kid go to school? And I'm like, I homeschool. And they looked at me like I was nuts. And same thing. I had construction Mm -hmm. people would come in. They're all, you know, where do your kids go to school? So they thought I was the weird guy. And that was really challenging, really tough. But I knew that my wife really believed in it. She did a great job. She excelled at it. So that's where I think part of the relationship comes in. You need to trust that person. But at the same time, my wife is giving me the trust that I'm going to invest our money and that I'm going to go into real estate. So I worked really hard to get into multifamily. I was I was in mentorship groups. I'd be working 45 to 50 hours a week at the restaurant, another 20 hours on multifamily. So you need to show that you're you're, you know, you're living up to your end of the bargain by saying I want to do mm-hmm. this. You have to put in the effort and put in the work. My wife when she had the home births, super healthy. She was really in shape. She really knew what she had to do. She picked out some really great midwives. She she owned it. So that's why I felt comfortable. Okay, it's your decision. You know, I go by the decision. I see all the work and all the effort you're putting to it. And I see how important it is to you. So how can I say no to that? I mean, that's not really fair. It's something that you really believe in that you really worked hard. And it's the same thing with her and the real estate. I'm not, you not let me buy this 25 unit with Jake. You've seen how much work and how much effort I've put into it. She trusted Mm -hmm. me. And that first deal, you know, obviously led to a lot of other deals. I think trust and putting hard work and showing that you're really committed to what you're saying you're going to do is really important in the relationship. Yeah, I completely agree. It, the The trust side of the house, honestly, the more trust you have, the, the easier the communication gets too, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not afraid of what the other person is going to say because you trust that they're going to hear it properly. They're gonna, you're going to have that relationship back and forth. Mm-hmm. And if they're not understanding that, you know, you're going to, they'll be able to ask questions back. You'll be able to ask questions back and forth. Um, you know, I, I, it's, uh, for me, I think that we, I have a very hard time trusting most people as a whole. Um, just given my background and some of the things I've done in my life, it's just I don't, you know, I, I just don't trust people naturally. Like even jumping into into your community, right? It took me going going to St. Augustine to sit down with you to have lunch before I could actually trust getting in the group. Like, is this person real? Is this person actually like? I mean, I hear him on a podcast, I hear him on a thing, um, but I had to have that that you know shaking your hand and sitting down and talking to you to really feel comfortable with it. Um, and like, how much more important is it to have that with your wife? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, golly, like it, it, too many people, I mean, you know, I look at like the, I'm, I'm so glad I don't, I'm not dating right now uh, because like the, all these apps and oh. you're swiping and doing all these things. And like, I just like, 
what, whatever happened to actually going and talking to somebody yeah. and meeting them and understanding who they are. And then don't even get me started on all the filters and all the stuff. Cause now I don't even know what you look like. I could like, we could have been dating on, <laughs> on the phone for a year and I go meet you in person. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. Uh -huh. I, I, I know this person, but it's not you, you know, like I don't like it just boggles my mind. Um, but man, oh man, like building that trust up front, you know, and it, it, it goes across to business too. Like in, it, if you don't trust your business partner, I mean, I've had some, I've had some not so great business partners multiple times uh, throughout, uh, throughout my short business career, uh, short quote unquote business career. But man, oh man, like if you do the due diligence up front before you get married, you know, know who they are, know, like, you know, have the right things lined up. Same thing with your partners. Um, you know, you, you scored pretty well with, uh, with your, your wife and your uh, business partner, like you mentioned. So two, two, uh, well done jobs there. Um, what would what would you say your wife would say to that question um as far as like how the communication side of it to making sure you guys are like how do you, how open you guys are to well, that Well we just did a, a a presentation for Family Mastermind for Matt Anderson's group uh Matt okay. Andrews group I'm sorry and it, it, just a couple hours ago and we were talking and re revisiting our past and I think the first several years, the relationship, the communication wasn't great. I mean, I was a selfish person mm -hmm. early on. I remember back in 1999, I'm living in my mom's basement and I am working six days a week at the restaurant. She's pregnant with our first child. I'm building a house too at the same time. So I'm stressed out. I'm tired. I come home. There's no lunch ready. So I'm like, where's lunch? She goes, I, I couldn't make it. I don't feel good. So I proceeded to start cooking lunch for myself. Had lunch, had a nice piece of ham. I didn't make anything for her. I look back at that. I'm like, wow, what a, what a, we're a really not a good person at the time. But I was <laughs> young and I chalk it up to just being immature and childish. I, I am a, if you're not embarrassed of the person you were 10 years ago, that means you really didn't grow that much. So I yeah. ended up growing a lot. I ended up learning a lot. It took me a long time, but I think the one thing that she understood is I was always committed to her. I always loved her. I always, I would always back her up. So I didn't fall on those things. I just was more of an immature and the way I was raised. I mean, Italians have a certain mindset and that mindset is really difficult to break. And, you know, once you get into it, you're really, as a marriage, you're really committed to the person. I was always committed to her. I'd always do whatever I could to provide. And I think that's ultimately what, I don't want to say saved us, but that's what strengthened the relationship. And then as you go on down this personal development journey, and as you become a life coach, and you start questioning things, and you start looking at things, and you know what I would say to anybody listening right now is, you know, why do you act the way you do? Go back into your childhood, see the trauma that you had, because we've all had trauma, some more than others, and it may not be huge trauma. I didn't have huge trauma when I was a child, but still, your your parents do mess you up. And you're going to mess your mm -hmm. kids up and that that's okay. But I think if you don't understand that, you know, why is she always yelling at me? Why is she so sensitive? Well, maybe when she was young, she was always criticized and she was always thrown aside so that every time I bring something up that's feel uncomfortable to her or I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing her, maybe she flies off the handle or maybe she gets really, I'm just using that as an example. It's more of my, my yeah. thing where when I was young growing up, I had older cousins and I was always getting blamed on. And finally, when I was 14 years old, my mom was like, that's it. I had enough. I could see you're not the one at risk, but that still sticks with you. So every time somebody criticizes you, especially a loved one, like your wife and yeah. says, why are you doing that? I take it personally. I can take criticism from a lot of other people, but when it comes from somebody who's really near and dear to me, 
I sometimes revert back to that. Well, why are you criticizing me? What did I do wrong? And it's just something I think we need to be aware of. We live in our subconscious so much. We do so many things automatically without thinking about it because that's how we survive. Because if you had to think about mm-hmm. every single decision, you would your brain would blow up. So you're on autopilot for most of the day. But sometimes it's good to pull the brakes and why am I acting like that? Why did I get mad at her for saying that? But when Johnny G says something to me, I don't get as upset. Huh? It's important. Mm-hmm. It's important. And that's part of the communication. That's part of the reflection. And that's part of the personal growth that and the journey that we're all on. So as you were doing your, your personal growth journey, like was it, um, as a weird way of saying this as it is, like was your wife on that same journey with you? Or did you ever feel like you were you were growing, outgrowing your wife or your wife outgrew you? And like how, how you guys kept up with each other? We were in, went to a... Um, real estate event in December of 2016. It was in New Jersey, Cranford, New Jersey. We're driving over the Tappan Zee Bridge, which became the Mario Cuomo Bridge. It takes us two and a half hours to get there. We go downstairs. There's about 50 people at this event. And I present. Don't even remember what I did. Afterwards, she's sitting there. She still had no idea really what I did. What does Gino do? He's real estate, coaching, buying mm-hmm. properties. People started coming up to her. She tells me there are people are crying like, you know, your husband, such an amazing job. And, you know, he's really changed my life and all. And she's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm just a life coach. And I had gone down that journey. I already practiced some of the skills of asking great questions and really being mm-hmm. an active listener. And she's like, you know, this life coaching thing sounded a little woo to me, but let me look into it. And she looked into it. She embraced it. And she went through the whole process. And she's probably a better life coach than I am right now. She's amazing. But I, I think at, certain, at a certain level, when she saw the effect that I was having on others, she wanted to learn more. And it wasn't just the effect that I was having on her and our relationship. I was really helping a lot of other people out. And for us, it really helped our relationship a lot. It's almost like the Jake and Gino community and your education community. You think you start to monetize and to make a ton of money. And then you go down another path and go, well, even if I don't make any money on this, it's providing me so much value, so much impact and so much learning that if I just stayed in the kitchen and just continued to wash dishes and make that little bit of money, my life would have been okay, but I would have missed out on so many things in life. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, um, I was recently talking to um, a friend of mine, uh, and he he gave me a call out of nowhere. I mean, I don't I borderline just call him an acquaintance, really, I'm not even a friend. But he gave me a call and it was asking me for some relationship advice, um, which I found odd. But you know, <laughs> let me let, let me chat, right? And one of the things, and it's not the first time I'd heard it; it just was the most recent time, and where he was like, "Look, I'm I'm doing all this growth. I'm growing. I'm here. I'm growing there, and my wife is just happy being stagnant." And he was struggling with that. And I didn't really know what to like, how to, how to really coach him through that necessarily. Um, I mean, I, I do think that, and it's of no fault of my wife. She's still full time active duty Air Force. So there's only so much, right? So I do feel like sometimes I am outgrowing. Uh, I shouldn't say outgrowing. I'm, I'm going in a, in a direction a lot faster than she's able to keep up, but we still talk so much and we have such great communication and the, the way that we're able to keep the relationship alive. Um, and it didn't sound like in this case they were. Um, so I'm interested, especially with your background, like how would you, how would you talk to somebody who feels like they're outgrowing their wife? Cause like with, with folks who are especially entrepreneurs, um, that, that are guys that are like drive, 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 always wanting to move. Um, and we can have a tendency to, to, uh, 
leave tread marks over people that we ran over along the way. So how do, how would you talk to somebody like that to be able to pause? Like, hey, this is what these are the types of things you need to be thinking. It's through. a good question because are you coaching them or are you consulting them? If you're consulting them, you're giving them advice. If you're coaching mm-hmm. them, all you're doing is asking them questions. They have the answers within them. The better questions you ask, the better you know, the better answers you're going to get from the person. You know, what is outgrowing her look like? Let me know from you. You know, uh, mm-hmm. why do you think? Well, have you ever asked her? Do you, would you like personal growth? What does that look like to her? You know, stagnant. Stagnant's not a really good picture. You gotta, you have to really listen to people's words, and words are so powerful. When you think about stagnant, that's not a really good description of somebody in your life. You don't want people to be stagnant. Maybe they are, feel threatened by your growth. You, you know, look back mm-hmm. in their childhood. You're looking at your husband. All of a sudden, you're here, and everyone's giving him attention. He's a rock star. She may be so, sort of being envious or jealous of him doing it, and you don't even know. Maybe he's giving off that aura of, "And I'm awesome." There's no I in teamwork. You know, I get on a yeah. podcast with my wife. We're not competing against each other. Maybe earlier on in the early on in the relationship, my ego would say, I need to outperform her. But as you get older, you're on the same team. You're not really trying to compete. And I think having that open dialogue, I think going to therapy would really help. Not therapy is not a bad thing. Therapy is a great thing. If you look mm-hmm. back at your past and see what happened, don't get stuck back there, but relive it and see what's going on. Why do you feel the need to grow so much? Is that, is that more important than the relationship? I don't know the answer to that question, but I mean, really need to dive into her, what, what, what's going to make her happy and then what's going to make you happy. And then if you're committed, there's got to be a, a way for you both to work this thing out. But I, I think maybe she may feel a little threatened by that. And all of a sudden she's like, well, he's getting all the accolades and all the envy and I'm just sitting here not getting anything. She, she may, she may be self-sabotaging herself. That may be the point. Mm-hmm. And, and also my wife, when we started out was, was painfully shy. I mean, like we started a podcast four years ago. I would have never thought in a million years my wife would have done a podcast. I had to actually bring her on. She she was afraid of doing it and just getting the reps in. I'm saying it's like we're just having a conversation here. Nobody's around, and yeah. now she comes to the events. She presents at the events. But I could have made that same excuse. Oh, I'm getting all this growth, and my wife is here. Well, maybe she's just afraid. Maybe there's a lot of fear. We'll never be able to conquer our fears. What are you afraid of? Let's talk about that. People are not afraid just to be afraid. They're afraid of the change that they're not going to be prepared for. Maybe she's got self-conscious when she was in school and people were called on and they made her look stupid in mm-hmm. school. That There's a lot of trauma in that. Maybe she was bullied. Maybe she doesn't feel comfortable. So just to say, hey, I'm growing and she's not. Well, let's find out what's holding her back, what the block is. And then you're there to support her or there to help her. You're not there to criticize her. I think you need working together and having no eye in that teamwork is so important. Because I see a lot of couples, they're competing. Instead of competing, work together. You can do so much when you work together and you pull your talent and your resources together than you you can by yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. That'll be... um I told him I was going to follow up with him, so now I'm going to have to follow up with him and, and steal some of these ideas and see what, see what his thoughts rip are. Rip off a duplicate, but, uh, my friend. R&D. Yeah, you know exactly. what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I don't remember if it was on the podcast that we, were, we were talking or if it was the, the pre-podcast before we actually started recording, but um, I mentioned seeing a lot of 40-year-old boys, right? Um, and I it drives me insane to, to look at in, in nowadays society with uh, what we... Um, you know, terms like toxic masculinity and all the type of stuff. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a lovely road to go down. I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on on you know uh, 
the situation we find ourselves in, right? I've got two boys that I'm I'm raising to try to be, as I tell them, better men than me. Um, and part of that is to, you know, for me, I, I look at it very biblically. Like your, my boys are going to eventually be the leaders of a household. They should be representing the the household well. They should be, um, you know, providing financially for their family. They should be taking care of their their uh, their wife and kids. Um, that doesn't mean that they're you know higher, better, or anything like that. Um, but I know that you. Um, you and your family faith is very important. I think you guys are you guys are Catholic, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, how do you kind of um, the way I usually say it is if I'm looking to society for my example, I'm looking in the wrong spot. But I'd love to kind of hear your your thoughts on you know where we're at as men and and how we should be kind of looking at our at our sons in particular because there's a little bit more of an impact there, but also our daughters because you have mostly daughters. Um, you know how how should we be representing? Um, to our kids as we're as we're growing up in a society that looks the way it does today. Once again, we interviewed somebody on the Julian Gino show. His name is Jason Everett. He is his company is called the Chastity Project, chastity.com. And I mean, talk about an eloquent speaker. Talk about somebody who really understands. And I asked him about the toxic. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. I forget the word he mm-hmm. uses. I think he used the word effeminist effeminacy. What happens is now we're trying to grow men who have these cars and this look and they look so macho and masculine but that's not masculinity that that he, he calls it i think the word of feminicity what happens is you're 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 not doing the hard and going just for the easy route and i think the picture of a of a male in the society now is you need to be six foot two rugged strong football player when i don't think you need that i, I think the 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 ideal the typical male is like what you said the leader of the household when, when you're when you're dealing with your daughters be careful of how you interact and how you deal with them because they typically will mm-hmm. gravitate to that person when they're thinking about dating and marrying. So if you're not acting really great or you're just acting subpar, that's who they're going to be attracted to. And when you listen to Jason speak, he speaks so eloquently on the subject. And I don't think there's any, there really isn't anything. We, we've been, we've been being used as scapegoats. And, and when you don't have a strong male figure in the household, just take a look what's going on with society. Back in the 60s, before the whole civil rights thing, 70 plus percent of black households were dual family, mother and father. Now 70% Mm -hmm. are single family. What's happened to that? I mean, there's other factors. I'm not saying that's the only factor, but take a look at all the demographics. Single households, there's more poverty. You're talking about not having a role model in the household. That is one of the single biggest destructors of society as far as I'm concerned, because you don't have the mother and the father. We are very similar. Mothers and male and female are similar. We have a lot of characteristics. We have a lot of different traits. You know, my, my wife is a nurturer. She had the baby mm-hmm. in the womb for nine months. She nursed the baby for three years. I don't have that kind of connection, that kind of, I can never have that. That's not in me. But what I do have is a little bit of spirit, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of craziness, right? A little bit of protection, a different kind of love. My wife, my daughter, who's 23, just wrote me a letter the other day uh, for my birthday. And she said to me in the letter, we fought, we've had issues, but your love is like God's love. When I, when you, when you embrace me and gave me that hug, instead of trying to fix the situation and listen to me, it's like God, the father's love. It's not Mary or a woman. It's a different kind of love. And I think we need to embrace that. And I think if you're in a single family household, it can be, it can be difficult. It can be challenging, but 
embrace the qualities that you have. If you're a male, bring those qualities into the relationship. And I think, you know, the women ha have that relationship with sons. They have that special relationship. And I think, you know, fathers have that special relationship with daughters. They look upon that. So I can see my son when he's going to be out looking for, for a wife to marry, he's going to be looking for the qualities that my wife has, a nurturer, someone who's loving, mm -hmm. someone who's caring. And that's why when you go back into your childhood, how was your parents' relationship? How do they have it? And I had a great mother. I had a mom who was home, took care of me, you know, really loved me. And that's what I had with my spouse. And I can see my dad, how he raised me, a little bit tough, but he was there cared. Um, and so when you look at that, I think that's really, really important. And there's no such thing as male toxicity. They're, they're just, that's something to yeah. really rip the families apart. This whole ideology that they're pushing, it really is to destroy. It's really to confuse people. And really, and if you don't, ha if you don't know your own identity, I mean, that's a really challenging thing as you get to become an adult. Mm -hmm. You don't know who or what you are or who or what you stand for. That could be really hard. And once you're confusing, then you become dependent upon something, aka the government. And then all of a sudden you become dependent yeah. on them. You can't make your own decisions. I think that's where they're leading this whole thing down to. And we need strong fathers to be in the household to say, hey, it's my responsibility to raise the family, to protect the family, to create a happy environment, and to create young adults who can go out into the world and make their own decisions. I hope I answered yeah, your question. That is awesome. No, very much so. Yeah, it's, you know, I... The, the statistics back up what you're saying anyways, right? Like, so um, the, the number one predictor, or the number one... Pre and and for somebody who wants to yell at me on the, on online, I don't have the data in front of me right now, so I may be mis miswording it. But uh, like the single parent households with the mom only, like that is the highest risk of somebody not graduating high school, ending up in jail, getting involved with drugs, doing things that are incorrect, and um, incorrect being like illegal and that type of stuff. And if they're in a single parent household and it's the dad, it's almost it's not as good, but it's almost the same as having both parents, mom and dad, in the house on mm -hmm. on the the criminal side of the house and it's uh not necessarily because of you know the dad like the mom's not needed i think very much the mom and dad are both very very needed in the household it's just because that that dad provides a lot of structure to the house because their brain is wired for that type of thing mm -hmm. their body is wired for that type of thing where the mom is going to be much more nurturing and much more caring that way um but you know like you said like the the house is bound to be much like you know much more economically challenged they're they're going to be a lot more poor with one family with one you know uh income in there and then they're not going to have the structure anyways because the parents never going to be there there's chaos. so man what a yeah, there's, yeah there's, and when, you, when you live in chaos when you live in the inner city and there's always noise there's always chaos you grow up in that there's never any peace there's never any calm mm -hmm. and when you live in chaos and you're always stressed and your adrenals are stressed and you have cortisol and you're always going fight or flight you end up to grow that way and then you end up and then all of your relationships as you get older are, are, are tainted. It's, it's a lot more challenging out there. So, I mean, find the support. If you're a single parent, find the support. There's other people out yeah. there that can help you out. I mean, parents, grandparents, don't be afraid to ask for the support because I think the children need that. And the more healthy and the more positive relationships that you can surround yourself with, because kids mirror us. That they, they're a mirror. Mm -hmm. They're seeing what mom and dad are doing all the time, and they're going to mirror that as they get older. They hear everything. They see everything. And if you're a hypocrite and you do as I say, not as I do, they pick up on that. So just be careful as yeah. you're talking and as you're interacting around your children. Now, that's not to say that they shouldn't see you fight because me and my wife fight and they'll see us fight. But at the end of the day, we will you know, get back and we'll communicate that as well. Mm -hmm. so kids are always watching what you're doing. Yeah. I think I think the kids are honestly seeing healthy 
healthy disagreement mm-hmm. and coming to good conclusions together is also a, a great thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but man, I think that's a that's a solid place to to wrap up. I think like talking. Please, 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 anybody listening, like realize that what I'm saying, anyways, mom and dad are very, very necessary. I'm obviously passionate about being a dad because guess what? I am one. Uh, So, like, I love the involvement of the dad in the family, and I really want to encourage folks, um, you know, and I I love some of the nuggets that you mentioned, especially looking at like having that conversation where your brain was more focused on like the money, 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 and and growing all that in front of it. why is it that you're going there, right? If if it's to take care of the family, then be with the family. Make sure that that's they are actually your why, and you're you're doing that. I have to remind myself of that rather often when I'm you know focused on this, or I'm getting on another call, or I'm doing something else. Just you know, be there for your family. Keep your focus in the right spot. Like take care of uh, take care of your kids. Grow better men than you, um, and uh, represent who you want your uh, your your daughter to marry. So I I love that thought process too. Like I mean. I need to be able to uh, communicate to my daughter um, what it is to find a man who's who's going to take care of her, mm-hmm. um, and that means I need to take care of my wife and be that representation. So, and, and Gino, let me ask you. Oh, just let ahead. me add on one more thing, Adam. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're a father or dad out there who's going through a separation or going through a divorce, there's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of anger. Yeah. There's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of ego. And you can live in that, and I'm not here to judge you. All I'm trying to say is your kids need you, and and there's no reason. Mm-hmm. There's no benefit to bashing your significant other, your spouse. And that's one thing my wife, uh, her parents divorced when she was young. She's one of three, so she's the youngest one. And her father never really said anything bad about her mother. And she had always a positive image of her dad. And I think that's what dads we should do. Really need to work on the relationship. You know, you're trying to trying to raise them and what good of it is it going to say that you know your mom is terrible what you're trying to do is trying to put her in a positive light and try to work on the same team once again you're trying to raise these healthy young adults where they don't need you when they're 23 years mm-hmm. old they can go out on their own so what 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 benefit is it to to, to bash your your ex your significant other try to work together and try to make it amicable because that's what that's what kids want to see if they see that it's yeah. they're always blaming themselves for this this separation this divorce if they see that it's they're not the fault they're not the problem but you're willing to work together man you'll ha- it, it'll be so much easier for you and for the fa- for yeah. the family and one way or the other you're impacting the kids yes you know mm-hmm. well, you might as well do it in the way that's going to impact them positively yes you know because it's i mean that that hate that anger is not going to help mm-hmm. anybody in that party so mm-hmm. you might as well just kind of let it go but man yeah it's it's always a uh absolute blast to chat with you gino i, I really enjoyed kind of actually getting to know you on a different level and talking to you a bit more and um i look forward to uh the next time i'm able to join you at uh, one of your conferences um, I really wish I was able to join you this time around when my conference could be the week after that. But uh, ah. if people want to get a hold of you, join your community, do anything like that, how, what's the best way for people to reach out to you and uh, and and jump into what Jake and Gino have to offer? Just go to jakeandgino.com. We've got blogs, websites, uh, the podcasts are on there, our YouTube channel. Go visit the website. That's all. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gino. I really, really, again, appreciate you coming on. You have been uh quite literally an inspiration on the dad side of the house. And I'm really excited to uh, uh, see. I mean, now it's funny that, that your youngest and my oldest are roughly the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I am not sure how I didn't realize that before, but roughly the same age. So yeah. it's going to be, uh, it's fun. That's awesome. So, Thanks. Adam. All right. Appreciate well, it, thank brother. you so much, Gino. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to the biz dad podcast. We hope you found some value in your time here with us. And we look forward to bringing you the next episode. If you've enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share so you and your friends won't miss our upcoming episodes. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Rumble, where we continue these discussions and share more valuable content. Be the dad you know you need to be and run your business in a way you're proud to share with your kids. Keep crushing it.